We are going to be reading from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. Just keep in mind this moves from what God has done for us in Ephesians 1 to 3 to sort of our response in 4 to 16. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ has apportioned it. That is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and becoming mature, attaining to the full measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Friends, this is the word of God. Well, good morning. Well, it's great to be able to be a part of the service this morning and really excited to be able to speak on this next part of the Ephesians book that we've been looking at. I want to frame this up to begin with and I want us to think this morning as we come to this text, I want you to think of it in the context of of you guys being leaders. And what I mean by that is I want you to think as if you're one of the pastors of this church. So I'd love you to think that you are like Steve and Kathy or Travis or Lynn or one of the other pastoral team members because the way that they look at this is they see the church as a whole. They're looking at it from a holistic perspective. And when we look at this book of Ephesians, this book was a circular letter that was written not just for the church of Ephesus, but almost like a blueprint template for the way church should operate as a whole or the way that we should express ourselves about how we live out our call and how we should work as the body of Christ. And so I want us to put that framework on this morning as we look at this as a whole. 
this blueprint is pasted through the book of Ephesians to kind of give us an idea about how we should operate as the body of Christ out of who we are and how we should live that out as one body. So I want us to think of that as we do that. And I also want us to look through this lens and this prism, if we can, as well, in light of the end of this chapter that we're looking at this morning. And so let me just read you, kind of give you the punchline at the, at the very start of where we're trying to move towards. And it's towards this maturity of oneness that Christ has for us. So let me just read verse 14, 15, and just let this permeate through your mind as you think like a leader And as you look through this lens, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body is joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part plays its part. So let me pray. With that end in mind, let's let that colour the way that we hear this passage this morning. Lord, I just want to thank you again that you are here with us. I want to thank you for the beauty of this church, Lord, and who we are as God's people here. I want to thank you for the tremendous opportunities that this church has as we look to the future, as we look to what God is continuously calling us to as a community of faith. And I pray that as we have journeyed so far through this book of Ephesians and as we move into this next section of Ephesians, Lord, that you would continue to infuse in us a stronger sense of who we are as God's people here and as we join others right across the globe as our brothers and sisters in Christ, as we continue to serve you. So, Lord, may our hearts be open. May we be attentive to your Spirit's voice this morning. And may we quiet our souls enough to be able to listen to the gentle whisper of your voice to each and every one of us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Is it all right to share problems with you? Is that okay? I just want to share with you an issue that I've struggled with over many, many years. And I think I figured it out. And... I don't know if you've noticed, but I look Chinese, just in case you couldn't say that. But I must say I was born here in Australia, and I've always wrestled for a lot of my life with this tension of growing up in a predominantly Eastern background home where mum and dad raised me in Chinese, they spoke to me in Chinese at different times, they educated me in, in the ways of the Chinese culture, and yet predominantly growing up in Australia, I've been educated in the West to think in certain ways. And I must confess that it's been a, that oscillating experience between living in the Eastern world and living in the Western world at the same time. My mind is this confusing bubble of doing this cultural translation between East versus West continuously all the time. And I've come to realise that I think like a, an Easterner, I must say, even though I'm educated in the West, I, can, I think I predominantly still, from my family of origin, I operate in that space. I remember just recently going overseas to Malaysia and I was in a shopping centre there and uh, I was just buying a set of clothes and I was talking to the salesperson there and I said to him how much for this clothing and they told me how much it was and they said oh where are you from and I said well I'm from Australia and they had this really puzzled look as they looked at me and I said and they said no where are you from and I said Australia like I'm from Australia they said oh yeah but you look Chinese and I was like yeah thank you like that's (laughs) 
Thanks for that. Uh, <laughs> so when I'm overseas, I think like I'm an Australian and I think, wow, like every, the rest of the world's really strange. And then when I'm in Australia, I think that you Australians are all strange. Like, <laughs> but it's this confusing piece for me as to which world I live in. I remember a number of years ago heading on a, a short-term mission trip uh, with one of our Baptist missions a- agencies called Global Interaction. We were heading to Indonesia to look at some of the work that some of our missionaries were doing over there. And one of the group exercises was they asked us to go and do a prayer walk around the city. And as I was doing my prayer walk around the city, I was thinking about, oh, man, this is a strange place, and Lord, I just pray for this and I pray for that. And at the same time, I'm noticing that no one's looking at me. No one's even noticing me. It's like I've almost blended into the community. And I'm thinking, I don't feel like I'm a part of this culture, but yet in so many ways I blend in as if they don't even notice that I'm anything different to their culture. And so there was this constant wrestle between these two. And as I was praying on that journey, it was almost like the penny dropped for me around this particular issue that I'll never, ever forget. It was like God was saying to me, Des, you're not Chinese. Des, yes, on your passport it says that you're an Australian, but you're not Australian. What you are is you're a citizen of heaven. Now, I don't know if you can quite grasp this, but I'm not Chinese. Even though my passport says I'm a citizen, God says to me, I'm a citizen of heaven. And when we come to this text today, what I want you to realize is, up to this point in Ephesians, the Apostle Paul's essentially been saying to us is, is that you are citizens of heaven. That who you are as a community of faith is a citizen of heaven first. So you can throw out your Australian passport. You don't need that because God is saying to you, do you know who you are? Do you know who you are in Christ? Because if you can embrace that from now, the present reality for you, this is not some past tense, the present reality for you is that you are God's people and you are a child of the most high God. You are a citizen of heaven. And you've been given every blessing of Christ has been endowed and passed to you. You are now an heir, a co-heir of the Most High God. This is a present reality, church. This is not some sort of theological random truth. This is the truth of those of you who have said yes And what Paul said to us up to this point is that you've got to understand this is your current status. This is your current status of play. And as he enters into this passage of scripture in chapter 4, he starts off with this wonderful word, therefore. Because he's basically saying to us, before you even enter into this, that you've got to say, in light of all this that we've talked about, that is, you understand who you are in Christ now, that we as God's people are children of the Most High God, sons and daughters adopted into his family. He says, out of that, live out a life worthy of your calling that you've received. You see, before you guys start thinking about now calling, as you're thinking through calling, you're sort of going, okay, well calling, what's my calling, what's God calling me to, a very kind of individualistic way of thinking about this. What Paul is saying to us is not this individualistic calling, he's talking about our collective calling as God's people, us together as the body of Christ. 
One of the interesting things as I've been wrestling between the East and the West in my own mind going through and, and recognizing that I'm predominantly from the East and, and the way that I think is that way is that in the East, when we think about this, we think in a very collective way. We think family. We think, we think not what I want to do. We think what's best for the whole. That's the way the East thinks. Yet I know, in the, as I've been educated in the West, that predominantly we're taught to think, well, what's good for me? What's the best pathway forward? How do I get, get ahead in my career? How do I work, move forward in that way? Well, what Paul's saying here is not that. He's talking about what do we collectively hear at Parramatta Baptist Church? What does it mean for us to live out a life worthy of our calling? It is that sense that there's no jealousy in a collective culture, in the sense of if one suffers, all suffer. But if one rejoices, every single person celebrates together. Because my success is actually your success, your success is my success, and our success is the kingdom's success. So Paul's saying, in light of all that, live out a life now worthy of our calling together as God's people. Remember I told you at the start to think like a leader, think like a pastor, think like how do we, how's this church going to grow and thing because we're thinking about the whole. And what the Apostle Paul talks about is some attributes, some characteristics, some attitudes, some behaviours that he talks about here. He talks about always be humble and gentle, be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's fault because of your love. So he says in Christian community, in the way that we interact with each other, that humility becomes a hallmark, that gentleness in the way that we approach conversations becomes the way that we engage with in every day, that our level of patience, in spite of those who think differently to us, in spite of those who seem less competent than us, even in amongst that, he says, be patient. And when we do slip up from time to time, would you not just make some allowances for others' faults because of the affection and love that we have as together as a community of faith. Because Paul's primary purpose here is that he wants us to walk in unity like we've never walked in unity before. Like we want to maintain, be eager to maintain the unity through the spirit and through the bond of peace. And you see, as you're hearing some of these attributes, you're already probably linking to you know, passages in Galatians and the like where it talks about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. These are the hallmarks of those who are empowered by God's Spirit, a community of faith who is inspired by God's presence, demonstrates these things in unity. You know, as you look across the Christian church, oftentimes where we've seen where there's been division throughout the history of the church. But I wonder if there's a moment in time now, in particular in Australia, where, where there's a real collective movement towards working more united across denominations, across churches, across different ministries and the like. Because there's a recognition that Jesus so many years ago prayed this prayer. He prayed that we would be one as the Father and Son are one. 
And Jesus, 2,000 years ago, anticipated that the very issue, the very key principle that would become the major theme, if you'd like, he was praying in advance to say that I pray that you guys would be one because he knew that our oneness was the very thing that would prove to this world that he was indeed Lord, that the way that we conducted ourselves together was the actual message that would send to this outside world that Jesus is indeed Lord and Lord of all. That's why it says, by the way you love one another, the world may know that we are his disciples. You see, oneness is the key characteristic that hallmarks, that frames this whole thing. As we look at the blueprint of how the church is going to continue to expand and grow, it'll be the way that each of us interact and the way that we have together a collective vision of living out that calling that God has over our lives. And that's why he talks about one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We have one hope together. And that's hope in the resurrected Jesus that we together are living out the call that he has on us as a community of faith. He goes on and then he talks about this part of the passage where it says, it was he who gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers for the primary purpose to equip God's people for the work of ministry, so that, they, that the whole body may be built up in wholeness and grow to full maturity. You see, he's given us these gifts, these functions in the life of the church that really contribute to the growth and the hallmark of the church. So let's have a look at this. We think about Parramatta Baptist Church and we want to move forward, we want to grow. He talks about the apostles and what's the function of, of an apostle? Well, it's a sent one. It's a pioneering one. It's someone who's sent out to expand ministry. If you think about church planting, it's about the extension of the agency of the church. The apostles are the people with that kind of gift mix, are thinking in that way. You think about the prophet. What was the function of the prophet? Was to help discern the will of God. Was to help to collectively call God's people towards the true north. That is Jesus to actually be listening to the voice of the Spirit. How do we continuously move towards that place? We've got the evangelist, which is the person who proclaims the goodness of God, who's constantly out there just speaking the gospel, 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 just telling as many people as they can about Jesus, promoting Christ. We've got the pastors, those who exhibit the glue that cares and nurtures and brings together God's family, to ensure that everyone is included and feels like they're part of the family. And we've got the teachers, those who are passionate about teaching the truths of God, the knowledge, the foundations, the doctrines, the theology, the discipleship, who wants to ensure that people are continuously deepening their roots in Christ. You see, and together, all five of those things, you know, these gifts work together if we are to see the church grow to full maturity. And, you know, these aren't the only gifts. There's so many other gifts that Paul talks about, but in the context of this passage, Paul's saying at least these five things need to be evident in the church for it to equip God's people, equip the saints, that is you and I, for the work of ministry so that we then are built up to the fullest of our maturity in Christ. 
And if you think of it this way, the prophets and evangelists, they're the people that love to run ahead. They're always thinking, what's, what's going ahead? They're always challenging the status quo. They're, they're going, let's go forward, guys. Come on, don't worry about all these compliance and systems and like, let's just go and do that. And then you've got the pastors and teachers who are cleaning up the mess behind them and making it all work together so that this whole body would work. So you can see that if we just had pastors and teachers, we just wouldn't change. We'd just be pretty stable, pretty much where we are. You need the apostle, prophet and evangelist to pioneer, to push new ground. Not to do change for change, but moving forward because God is calling us as a community of faith to see the whole world know him in a personal and rich way. So these things go hand in hand. So I ask, who are those in our church who have the apostolic function or gift in their, in their makeup. Who here has the prophetic, who's just passionate about calling people and discerning the will of God for us as a community of faith? Who are the people here who are evangelists, who are stretching us, calling us to think outside of our comfort zones and saying that there's an extraordinary amount of people that need to know Christ out there and we need to be propelled into that space? Who are the pastoral carers in this church who need to continue to help us? Ensure that people are well looked after and nurtured in their times of needs when they're journeying through really tough stuff that we are there and this church is known as a caring, concerning community. And then where are the educators here in this church who are just wanting to ensure that every single person in this congregation knows the truth, the true reality of who we are in Christ, that we embrace it, that it becomes so much part of our makeup that it, we just can't escape it. Where are they? And just in case you can't work it out, here's some everyday language that may be helpful. Well, the apostle is like the entrepreneur. So who of you here is a bit entrepreneurial in your nature? Which one of you here is a natural questioner, not, not happy with just the status quo, but wants to call people to something greater than themselves? Which one of you here is more a bit like a recruiter who, who can go and bring people along, call people into towards the vision and the journey of what God is calling us to? Who are the nurturers? Space. And who are the educators who are teaching God's people the truths of God? You see, all these together help us make up the body of Christ. Why? Well, at the start, I talked to you about have that lens of the end in mind. Well, it's about maturity. It's about maturity of faith. And you know what true maturity equals? I reckon it's that oneness and unity. When you've learned to bear with one another's burdens, when you've learned to make allowances for others, when you've learned to forgive quickly, when you've learned internally to work through your differences and can still stand up at the end of this and still say that you are one, I think you've discovered what maturity in the faith truly looks like. Because I think it's easy to do all the others. It's easy to have a few skills in ministry. It's easy to just kind of pat someone on the back and say, hey, off you go. But I tell you what, to embrace diversity and differences and still say that you're one, that takes a bit of maturity. And this passage finishes off by calling us not to be the type of people that are tossed around in the wind, to and fro, back and forth, being deceited by any kind of random new popular idea that's out there, but rather still true to the one true God 
the one faith, the one baptism, the one Lord. And that is, it's calling us to continuously look more and more like Jesus in that space. That when we've truly embraced every blessing in Christ Jesus, when we've truly adopted our sonship and we know that we're citizens of heaven, out of that now, the natural transformation of that is that we become more and more like Jesus. And so my question for you today is that, wouldn't it be great if that you could bump into someone else in the congregation six months after you last spoke to them and say to them, wow, you look so much more like Christ than you did six months ago. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be so much great for us to be able to say as a congregation that this church is so much more like one than it was six months ago? Wouldn't it be so much better for us to be able to say that we are more patient with each other than we've never been as a congregation? That we've been more accepting of each other's failures and triumphs in amongst that, in amongst that we are able to say if one suffers, we'll all suffer together. But you know what? If one rejoices, all of us will triumph together because our success is your success and our success is the kingdom's success right across this globe. And we stand with our brothers and sisters, no matter where they are, for all those people who say yes to Jesus and that, that Jesus is their personal Lord, that we stand with them, one with them. I hope that you could say to me six months' time from the last time you saw me and you said to me, hey, Des, far out, you look more like Christ than I've ever known you to be. There's just some characteristics about you that have just shifted so significantly and I can see the spirit more entwined in your life. And not because of anything maybe magical I've done, but maybe because my posture has been more towards wanting to see the body of Christ, you guys all speaking into my life in a profound way, because that's what oneness is about. It's about us doing this, not just together, but doing this collectively with a view of this wonderful blueprint that God has given us about how to grow this church, how to grow the church of Jesus Christ right across our globe. Jesus prayed 2,000 years ago that we would be one as the Father and Son are one and that our oneness would therefore become the greatest evangelistic witness to this world. Do you follow? We are one because the Father and Son are one. Let's come to him and pray. Lord, it's so easy to often think quite individualistically about what is my calling? What is my part? What is my role? It's quite easy, Lord, for us to often think of it in quite a selfish way. And Lord, I just pray, Lord, as, we've, as we listen to your heartbeat for your church and your people, Lord, that you would infuse in us a greater picture of the whole, that we would understand a newfound maturity of oneness in who we are, in Christ Jesus, that we would be reminded about all those great truths that we have every blessing poured out to us, that we've been adopted into your family, that we're sons and daughters of the Most High God, Lord, that we would again embrace that in a new profound way, but now live it out in the way that we bear with one another in humility and gentleness, and that we maintain unity through the bond of peace. I pray a real protection over our church, Lord, that we would continue to see peace reign but we would also see the extraordinary work of that, the, those five gifts, Lord, that come to the surface in our church that would equip God's people 
for the work of ministry that each of us would be grown to the fullness of maturity, that people would be able to bump into us six months from when we last saw us as a community of faith and go, wow, isn't Parramatta Baptist Church so on fire for Jesus more than we've ever seen before? Lord, we love you, and may our lives continue to be a spiritual act of worship to you for your sake and for your kingdom's sake. In Jesus' name, amen.